1: Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. So welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant podcast. I am your host, Jeanette Lymph, and I'm here today with an incredible lady, someone who is super inspiring, the wonderful Anna McKay, who is the founder of Z's Sleep. Now, Anna spent a big proportion of her career in the corporate world uh, as an intellectual property lawyer and then jumped out and became an entrepreneur for a business that she is super passionate about. So it's a delight to have Anna here today. Nice to see you, Anna.
0: Oh, it's lovely to be here. I'm really looking forward to talking to you, Jeanette. Oh, and, fa- and also to your listeners.
1: Fantastic. Yes. Yeah, so it actually it could be people that are listening or watching on YouTube, actually. So um, we're multimedia these days, aren't we? <laughs> Fantastic. So Anna, what we're going to do, if it's OK with you, let's start with your journey. You know, where life, where life started for you and, and kind of how you've got to this fabulous position that you're in today. And then we're going to go from there, if that's all right. Yeah. OK. So
0: I started off with intellectual property law. Uh, actually, again, um, an accident. Um, I, 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 I took on a particular role and instead of doing that role, I uh, found myself um, accepting a patent case, which kind of walked through the door. Um, I n- actually had done no litigation whatsoever. I'd never done a hundred pounds. Uh, debt collection or nothing at all. Um, We took on this case within the firm that I just joined. I um, I took it on as the head of the intellectual property department, which was pretty small at the time. And it went to the House of Lords. So it was was the first patent case to go to the House of Lords for a decade. And it made us a reputation, which to begin with, we didn't deserve, but we kind of stepped into it and we became... um, the leading firm uh, in Britain, if not in Europe, in that kind of area. And the particular area was um, big intellectual property litigation against the big pharma companies. So we were usually def- uh, defending uh, maybe generic pharmaceutical companies or inventors against um, multinationals. So it was a kind of David and Goliath uh, type of uh, practice, which suited me down to the ground. Very high energy, kept me on my toes. Um, It involved law, politics. You're at the cutting edge. You're working across different countries with uh, science, politics, economics, the whole lot. So it's it's different from many kinds of law. And it also involves emotions. So even if you're looking at a pharmaceutical product, you're looking into the mind of the inventor. Was that inventive? When he invented it, you know, ten years ago or whatever. So it's it, it's it's um, a, a type of law that has some elements of art to it, as well as uh, law and fact. And I think that's why it suited me. Wow! So that, <laughs> so that was what I was doing, and pretty soon we found ourselves um, with a very uh, with, with a stellar reputation in that very narrow field, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, But I didn't really enjoy being a lawyer, okay? I didn't really enjoy the conflict between um, uh, a structure which is uh, risk-averse and a discipline, i.e. litigation in that kind of field, which involves risk. There's a tension there. So I think that um, intellectual property law, I'm not sure it should really be called law. It's kind of qualitatively different, and it doesn't fit very easily, And um, there came a point which was quite – sudden, and one of the things that satisfied me, taking a step back, was that I felt I was working towards good health. So, for example, we might be doing a piece of litigation that involved a drug that was uh, the subject of a monopoly and shouldn't be. And if we were able to break that monopoly, the the drug then became um, affordable – and was able to be used that kind of thing which satisfied a part of me that's political and cares about people's health Um, and there came a time when all of a sudden one weekend i realized i was absolutely fed up of being a lawyer and i also wanted to have a more direct impact on health And with that realisation, as has often happened to me, it's almost like I feel like I've got no choice, that the realisation itself prompts the action. You know, something might have been bubbling away, and that's okay. I can deal with the ambiguity. Mm -hmm. But the moment I'm hit with the truth, I've got to act. Okay? So at that point, it became absolutely clear that I wanted to leave. Uh, I wanted to stop being a solicitor, even though I love my clients. I love the work. Um, It wasn't enough. I wanted to do something else. So I I stopped that and started working with individual inventors whom I thought had something really interesting to offer. And um, and then what happened was that um, I was introduced to a particular engineer, a chap called Steve Walpole. And the the genesis of that was itself quite curious. Many, many years before that, I'd worked with some teams of Russian scientists who'd left Russia after Perestroika and were trying to fund their work and roll it out in the West. That was a very difficult exercise for them and for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, And... um, Actually, I felt it was uh, an opportunity that the world missed, in fact. There was so much brilliant science in Russia, which was very different from uh, the West. And I'd have loved to have had the role of, you know, kind of nurturing those scientists. Anyway, that wasn't to be, but I did work with them. And one of the teams was working with low-power electromagnetic fields. And they'd done some extraordinary work that was not paralleled in uh, western science. So that sparked an interest in me and I was always looking for people, physicists, mechanical engineers, engineers who understood what they were doing and I didn't find people. So many, many years later um, at a party an old lady, an 80 year old old lady said "Um, you must meet my son-in-law. Okay and even meeting her was curious. She was the old lady who had sold a farmhouse, she was an ex-farmer's wife, to my sister. <laughs> my sister had a moving-in party, and it was the first party of my sister that I'd ever been to. So it was a, la- a village lady, you know, who'd hardly left her village, um, who said, you must meet my son-in-law. So I rang him up, I left him a message. It took him four and a half months to return my call. And when we did, he did return my call, we were on the phone for something like five hours. And there was a background to that. So the reason was that Steve had been very burnt um, in, in in previous uh, commercial outfits. And I think he was really traumatized, but he also recognized that with me, he had somebody who understood what he was doing and was ready to work at it to try and roll it forward. So that's how we started off. So from that day on, we've been working together, you know, every day now for the best part of a decade. And for the last uh, three years, we've had our product, our first product on the market.
1: Wow, fantastic. Fantastic. Gosh, there's so much in here, Anna, because obviously, you know, your journey has been, um, you know, one with various twists and turns. Um, but the thing that really stands out for me as you were talking was that a very value driven approach to both your sort of, you know, your professional career within litigation, but also the motivation to want to make an impact in a positive way on the world and hence your decision to actually, you know, set up the business that you've got with Steve. Um, has that Always been a core part of sort of how you've approached the roles that you've had, you know, about really caring and, and having these core values that are important to the way that you do business and the way that you carry yourself professionally. Do you think?
0: Uh, yes, I, I, I think it has. Yeah, I don't think I could be any other way. Um, you know, I remember actually as a very small child, uh, at four or five, just having a realization that I had to be who I was. And that that might be uncomfortable because it might not fit very easily, but um, that I had no choice, and that's both uh, difficult but also it simplifies life.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gosh, at such a young age as well—that's incredible, isn't it? How, yes, really, it's one, of, one of my first memories. Wow. Wow, and that stayed with you all these years. That's that's yeah. amazing. And and let's let's talk about let's talk about Z Sleep because this is the business that you've you've set up with Steve, as you say. Um, talk talk about what the what the product offering is, and and as you say, you know this is something you're incredibly passionate about. You are in the very entrepreneurial space, an entrepreneurial part of the journey as well at the moment in terms of really wanting to grow the business, but still quite new as a startup. So talk about the offering, talk about how it helps people, Anna, because I think it's a fascinating product that you have here. OK,
0: so we're making sleep devices. Um, how they're different from anything else is that we, we, the technology that we've cracked or that Steve has cracked is technology which is able to copy uh, neuronal activity. OK, so our, our brain operates electrically with neurons in different parts of the brain with different functions uh, operating at different speeds. Um, and his idea um, was that if we could mimic that activity precisely or you know, near as damn it precisely, um, we may, might be able to prompt the brain into copying the pattern that he produced. So what that means is that uh, it's qualitatively different from other um, devices that work on the brain, which tend to create either a magnetic field or an electrical stimulation, which crosses into the skull and directly influences um, the brain's activity. We don't do that. We create a very tiny signal at a tiny fraction of the uh, power of uh, the signals that are produced by um, other methods under the pillow, far too small to do anything, um, anything to cross the skull or do anything like that. Uh, If we've got it right, and if the person is uh, properly nourished, I can say a bit more about that later, and if there's no electro, uh, well, if there's um, not too much electromagnetic interference, then the brain tends to pick that up and follow the pattern that we produce. Wow. So we've had, I mean, we've had an extraordinary uh, results. Um, we've now had a couple of thousand people use it, um, and generally we get almost everybody to sleep. Um, so we can get a person who um, hasn't slept maybe even all their life to sleep. We can get a seventy-year-old lady who started off as an abused child and had a very good reason for uh, not sleeping, you know, as she was a child, and you know, carried on with that pattern all her life. We can get her to sleep, provided that she drinks water and eats reasonably, but we can't get somebody who's dehydrated and goes to bed with their tummy full of sugary products to sleep. Uh, so, So that's kind of how it works.
1: Wow. Well, so so really, I mean, you know, it's such a topic that is affects, gosh, hundreds of thousands, millions of people, billions of people, probably in reality, because sleep deprivation and and challenges like that that's so debilitating and on people's lives, isn't it, Anna? And and I guess you know some of the people that you've just described there, quite extreme um, situations that I guess they found themselves in. Uh, so to be able to really make an impact for their lives, it must feel incredibly fulfilling. Um, for for you and steve
0: yeah it does it does
1: um i mean it's it's just extraordinary and i
0: think that's what that definitely keeps me going i mean there are other things that keep me going as well that it's so interesting but the kind of um kind of feedback that we give uh just you know is, is nurturing like nothing else. Would you like me to give you one example?
1: I would love an example, Anna, absolutely. So, well, I'll give you an example
0: of somebody who's a, right at the other end from our 70 year old, a young man, a depressed young man, particularly depressed during pandemic in those, that kind of state where he was getting up at four o'clock in the afternoon, never seeing the daylight. Mm. Um, I met his mother at a dinner party <laughs> recently, once, the, once lockdown had, had stopped. And she was obviously out of her mind with worry, um, you know, her, because her, her son was really unhappy. Mm. Um, he was interested. So two weeks later, she sent me an email saying, um, he's a completely different person from the person he was, the depressed chap he was two weeks ago. He's getting up every morning, going out busking. And she finished the email with the line. She said, you have my eternal gratitude. Ah. That's and it was awesome. so touching, you know, it just um, made it made my heart, you know, think of how it is as a mother when you're so worried about your children and your ability to help them is limited. And here was something that had um, given this young man a, a reason to get up uh, and also helped him on that journey.
1: Wow. I mean, that's fantastic. And I was reading actually on some of the stats and some of the results, because when you describe it in those terms, it really makes it, land home, what an individual impact you're making on, on those people's lives. But it's also good to look at the numbers as well, isn't it, Anna? And I was reading with great interest some of the stats that you you kindly sent over in that, you know, 38% of users fell asleep within 15 minutes before they were using the device. Whereas when they started using the device after that, it, that increased to 81% of people um, falling yeah. asleep within 15 yeah. minutes. And then mm-hmm. the other, the other stat that really really stuck out for me, you know, before using the device, 29% of people had more than six hours sleep. Whereas after using the device or whilst using it, that increased to 88%. I mean, those are phenomenal. They're not, they're not minimal changes. Those are huge no, results. No, yeah.
0: They're really big. And I, I also want to say that, um, you know, when we did that stuff, our results are actually now even slightly better, but I, I do want to say that, you know, that's, that, It has to be remembered that our group of people was, you know, well-fed, well-informed, and the results are also linked with that, and they listened to what we had to say. You know, so I I say things like, um, you must supplement magnesium. The reason that we have to do that is because our soils are depleted. We don't have the minerals in the soil that we used to have, even a few decades ago. Um, So I'm not, I, I wouldn't make the claim that those results are reproducible willy-nilly, uh, mm. achievable, provided we also do the other things that we need for good sleep. And uh, obviously, if you've, got, if you've got people who haven't slept for decades, uh, they're, they're willing to make, what we found is they're willing to make changes. So, um, you know, they may never have thought about charging their mobile phone in the kitchen, but they're prepared to do it. Um, well, they're prepared to do it with this kind of new offering. So it's actually a a kind of composite um, approach of which disease is part.
1: Mm. Let's let's get into that, Anna, actually, because I think for anyone listening that, that has got, you know, sleep issues and maybe suffers from insomnia and, and cr- chronic sleep deprivation, and that can be really impacting their business life, career, personal life, etc. So if you were giving some advice, obviously, there's a part of this around the product that you offer, but there's obviously some good best practice as well to help people listening. So it'd be really useful to run through some of those um, pieces of advice, Anna, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So absolutely. So I think I won't go with sleep hygiene because everybody knows, you know, what to do for
0: sleep hygiene. It's kind of the things that are extra. So I think the things that we forget are one, our relationship with light. Light is tremendously important in many different ways. And sunshine um, as a circadian rhythm, rhythm trigger uh, for the production of vitamin D in relation to sunshine, um, for the production of um, uh, serotonin, um, so, so that, that's the big one where I think, uh, you know, our lifestyle has taken us away from natural pattern of daylight and darkness and has a big impact on our sleep. And with that, I'd also include uh, modern electric light bulbs, which can be very damaging. So we know about parts of that, but we forget how powerful morning light can be, for example. Um, so, and another one is, um, the way in which we eat. OK, not necessarily what we eat, we're quite well informed on that. Um, and I think we, we've, we've lost that in particular in relation to our first meal of the day. So um, what I found is that breakfast tends to be more habitual than anything else. So if people started off their life eating or, you know, once they are in their teens or 20s, started eating muesli or croissant, you can bet that's probably what they're eating when they're 50 and 60. Mm. And maybe that doesn't serve them. So the the way in which our breakfast matters is in relation to the production of serotonin, uh, and particularly our tryptophan intake. Um, We may not have enough tryptophan in the morning unless we eat it in our first meal in order to produce adequate serotonin to then um, create the melatonin that we need for good sleep. And that becomes an increasing problem as we age.
1: Why, why does it become a more of a problem as we age then, Anna? Because we,
0: don't, we naturally, our ability to make melatonin declines. So when we're 60, we're only making a tenth of the melatonin that we were making at 25.
1: Gosh, that's incredible. So something
0: that wasn't a problem at 25 becomes a problem at 60. Okay, okay, gosh. We tend to find that people will start to wake up at three o'clock in the morning and not understand why they're waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning. They're waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning because that's when our cortisol production starts, and that has an impact on the melatonin-cortisol balance. If, uh, and if we haven't produced enough melatonin earlier on in the day, uh, we have a problem.
1: Wow no this is incredible and, and let's i mean there's so much great advice here because obviously you, you know you offer a, a fantastic product that's getting results um for the many people that you've helped which is which is wonderful but it's it strikes me that it, as you say it's it's not just the product alone it's everything around so you almost become you know i suppose the one-stop shop in terms of how to sleep better with what you can offer and all of these added elements that people wouldn't yes. be aware of um would yes. you say that's that's fair um yeah absolutely
0: so- So the part that we're doing is we're prompting the brain to do something that it may have forgotten to do, forgotten how to do. And the other things are necessary. Very often um, we can do all those things and we still don't sleep well uh, because we've learned a pattern of not sleeping well. Mm. Um, And we need that prompt. For instance, it happens very often with women when they become mothers. Um, They'll sleep lightly because they're listening for their children and 20 years later, when their children have already packed their bags and gone off to university, they're still listening for their children. They're still sleeping lightly. And then the menopause hits them. And then their sleep is really screwed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then the hot sweats, the hot. I think exactly. I'm, peri- I'm perimenopausal, Anna, I think. But yeah, definitely starting to have some of the impacts uh, that you're talking about there. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh So I'd really like
0: people to know that uh, there's something that they can do at an earlier age, you know, that we can stop those poor. Obviously, we can't stop children from waking up in the middle of the night. You know, that's what small children are supposed to do. Mm. But we can make sure that when um, a mother or a father is able to sleep with a young child, the quality of that sleep is good and that they... um, Relearn a good sleep pattern quickly as soon as their child is able to sleep for you know decent chunks of the night.
1: Amazing, yeah, no, fantastic. And and you, you yourself, Annie, you you. I think in your bio that you kindly sent over, you know, you talked about how you you suffered from chronic insomnia yourself when you were in the you know the big corporate corporate world. How did that actually play out in reality uh, for you personally?
0: Um. Actually, I suffered from really bad insomnia from being a small child um from you know maybe from about again um well i remember actually i i can pinpoint it because at six years old um I traveled on a liner from um uh Malawi, from Zimbabwe not from Zimbabwe but from South Africa from South Africa Zimbabwe has no coast but that was where I was coming from the boat actually left from South Africa I think it ended up in Southampton a six-week journey and I remember wandering around the boat in the middle of the night and kind of being adopted by an old gentleman who taught me two useful things one was to play cards the other was to read I hadn't yet learned how to read. So the middle of the middle of the night was spent learning how to read and playing cards with this old man. So that, you know, that was it. I actually remembered that when I was looking back to when I started to sleep poorly. And, I, and then I did have a pretty stressful childhood, with lots of things that were, you know, liable to keep me awake. Um, and I remember as a teenager, um, it was so bad that I'd sometimes hallucinate. And I'd have to, you know, I, I got good at uh, realising what was going on. I, I'd have to work out what was reality because I didn't know. Mm. I couldn't tell whether something was dream or reality. And I had the sense, I think it was sensible, to stay away from doctors. I think it was sensible at the time because I probably have ended up on Valium. Uh, I'm really glad I did. It felt like I was walking a line between sanity and madness. Um, and I, you know, I could almost feel them both as palpable. So it became something that I, I managed um from a very young age. And then I think probably a little bit later on, it became linked with depression. And I cracked the depression in my um early to mid-20s, but I didn't crack the insomnia. Mm. Um and the way that I handled my life uh was really to, I, I'm very lucky, I think I've got. Enormous strength and stamina, so I just basically kept going as if it wasn't there. Uh, and I found, that as long as I as as, much, as long as I ran fast enough, you know, which did involve a lot of coffee and you know gin and tonic when I got home, and you know all sorts of other things that were not really very desirable, um, I had the physical strength to do that. Um, I wouldn't have done that if I'd felt there was any other route. And I also used every strategy I could think of to try and cope. So I used, you know, yoga, uh, Pilates, therapists, massage. I was quite good at relaxing, but I couldn't sleep. So it was it was a really I mean it was an extreme problem where sometimes I wouldn't sleep for many days in a row. Um, when I listen to people talking, it's actually listening to people talking now that I realise, in a way, how lucky I was that I didn't collapse physically. Mm. Uh, I can't have been far away from it, but um, you know, I couldn't. I couldn't find a route out. I thought I was doing everything as I could. Of course, I wasn't. You know, looking back in hindsight, I can see all sorts of things I was doing wrong. But at the time, it felt like uh, it was. It was hopeless. So it was a big thing. I didn't think I'd ever sleep. I, I actually didn't get into disease because of that. I, I you know, I, I regarded my own sleep as hopeless. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I didn't twig immediately that this was, at least not at a conscious level, that this was something that might help me. But of course, um, I, I became a guinea pig. And um, I still feel as though it's a, you know, it's a, it's a marvellous technology that feels kind of separate from me, even, even though. I'm one of its inventors. you know I contributed to it was my decision that we should start off we should start trying to um, mimic the brain activity of sleep rather than anything else. Uh, and that was taken for pragmatic reasons actually. That was taken because um, there aren't the legal barriers in the way um, if one's working on poor sleep because it's not regarded as a medical problem, that there would be if for example we'd been working on migraine, well, it was another possibility so we couldn't fund the work on meat grain um, we would have had too many hurdles in the way uh, but sleep was something that we were allowed to work on
1: wow i mean it's uh, what what i love about this is that you know you you're, you've got a very um personal interest in this yourself but it it maybe wasn't such a conscious choice that you were going to benefit from it but you you're passionate about it as a topic and wanting to help people and that really sits at the heart of of what you you offer um and and also I think you know just the integrity the values you know the the way you carry yourself shows absolutely screams how much you care about people and really wanting to help. Um, and I think that is fantastic because there's no better reason for starting a business than thinking about the customer at the heart, you know, and, and the client who you're trying to really, you know, transform their lives. And it is transformational for people um, from, from what you spoke about. Um, but I what I wanted to just talk a little bit about now as well, Anna is, is kind of as an entrepreneur uh, running a startup business, it's not easy, uh, to do that you know lots of lots of trials and tribulations you know this podcast is called brave bold brilliant and and i think as an entrepreneur we have to be all of those things but it isn't easy so how have you found the transition out of sort of the corporate world into the world of entrepreneurialism and and what are some of the things that have gone well for you and what are some of the things that maybe are challenging or continue to be challenging would you say
0: um, well, a lot has gone very well. And I think, in fact, in, in an odd way, there not so much difference, because with the kind of work that I was doing as a lawyer, it was, a, it was a lonely position. You know, mm. I was the only person doing that. So I think actually being uh, tolerant, being able to be to put yourself out there in an uncomfortable position and say, this is what I'm doing. And I'm doing it like this. That was that's been quite useful. Mm. And I, I probably learned that um already. Although um, it's much more overt now. Um, so um, what have I I, I suppose that I, I suppose that the biggest loss has been, the biggest loss has been, this might sound paradoxical, but it's been having other people around. So as a lawyer, you know, your time is very, very expensive. The client has to pay an awful lot for it. And one of the things that you know, a well-run firm, law firm, does is it has lots and lots of people to whom you can delegate jobs, and you have to because otherwise the bill to the client is going to end up being astronomical. So I became a very good delegator, which meant that I didn't have any skills because I don't del- well, I had you know some skills, intellectual skills, but I didn't know how to type or you know I I barely knew how to do anything honestly, and I had to learn all of that. Um, you know, much to the frustration and irritation of my children, I had to learn all that. And so I have great gaps in my abilities that, um, you know, another person coming with a different discipline wouldn't have. Um, And, you know, I I must say I I would absolutely long to be in the position where I had, you know, long to be in the position where, again, where I've got somebody to delegate to. (laughs) Or Perhaps that's not, you know, that's not a very... um, you Know that that may not be a very nice thing to say, but it would be awfully nice. But at least um I, I, I also miss, and I, I actually I missed this, I missed this too as a lawyer, um, but I have had it at certain points in my life. The one thing that I would really love is to have um peer collaborators, mm. you know, people who understood what, what we were doing, who are at the same level. Um, that would be really great and um, I think I've only once, and that was already as an entrepreneur, worked with somebody uh, consistently of, at that level and that was wonderful. So that that's what I miss and I would like to recreate mm. most, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, because you are in still in very much in the startup phase, um, Anna, I think, you know, you are going to be facing some of those decisions around how do you scale up, you know, w- w- bringing people into the business so that you can delegate effectively and you can focus on, you know, sort of maybe more of the strategic uh, decisions and, and focus areas as well as, as, as kind of making sure that you're reaching out to, you know, key clients to grow the business. So I think you will naturally and a lot of people listening. Who are entrepreneurs will be facing that similar challenge. You know, when I work with some of my mentees on one-to-one basis, very often it's about well, how do I scale up? When? What should be the first hire that I make? You know, should it be a virtual assistant that can take away the admin and all of those kind of decisions? But um, and it can be a bit of a lonely place as well. Uh, and that that network that you that you talk about, I think, is so important for people. You know, reaching out to like-minded individuals, bounce ideas off, etc. But I think it sounds like you have really made an amazing start to this business. You've got a, clearly got a strong partnership with Steve. Um, and, and you mentioned earlier, actually, about Steve sort of having had some mental health challenges earlier in his, his career. How has being in business with you helped him, do you think, from a personal point of view, with some of those challenges? Or has it not? Has it made it worse?
0: <laughs> I hope it's not. <laughs> Uh, I, 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 it has helped in, uh, well, I think it's helped in that, uh, in, you know, we're not, we're not through it yet as well as, um, mental health challenges. Steve has physical health challenges. So, it, you know, he has a tough lot to deal with and, um, he's, I mean, I think he's a genius. Um, and you know, with, um, that, that also means that, you know, there are areas that, that he can't handle at all. Mm. So, um, I I hope I've helped by making it possible for um, that skill to come out. I mean, it's still not coming out in in the sense of, um, you know, we're not making loads of money yet, but we have got products out there that are helping a lot of people. And I think we've got a platform to go out and really help people in numbers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think the difference is that... um, in the past, you know, people have looked at his technology and basically they've seen dollar signs. <laughs> yeah. And they haven't understood that, um, they haven't understood him, they haven't understood what drives him, which fortunately is, is is not just dollar signs, although it would be lovely to make some money. Um, it's much more complex and nuanced than that. So I think, um, I think Steve knows that I'm on his side, although sometimes I, I confess, you know, I get irritated and, you know, um, but so I think I, I hope that that has helped him, that, that um, you know, it's often I think people with um, extraordinary brains are often lonely. It's, mm. it's not it's not entirely a blessing. You know, it, it, it can be a very isolating position as well. And that's that's often missed.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, actually. I mean, you know, if you think about some of the amazing creative people, you know, as you say, geniuses in the world that have, you know, have almost if they their brains didn't work in that way, you wouldn't get the the unique special output. And, you know, whether it's the arts or, you know, music or whatever, or science, it's almost this paradoxical position, isn't it? That uh, yeah. there's there's a, there's a yin to every yang, I suppose. And, and yeah, I mean, it sounds like you and Stephen We've got a great partnership, and and I guess there's a point here around playing to your strengths and knowing what you're each good at and where you can support each other to bring out the best. And you know, one plus one equals three. Um, and and I think that's that's a great approach to take for being in business. Actually, with with someone, yes,
0: yes, yes. And I also benefited from watching. You know, as a lawyer, I benefited from watching my clients fail. Mm. And um, I learned an awful lot from that. Um, so uh, we haven't made some of the mistakes that I, I probably would have made had I not had that, um, had, had I not observed that. Um, so that, that also was very useful. I think it's been useful to go in with the attitude that, you know, uh, playing to our strengths is great. We We can't just do that as a small business because we need to do everything. Mm. So, you know, we need to do things that we're not strong, that we're all, that we're uncomfortable doing. What I do, somebody has to do them. Um, and um, you know, ideally, we build up an organisation where everybody is playing to their strengths. That's what I hope we'll be able to achieve.
1: Mm. And what's the what's the next stage in the journey for Z Sleep? Then Anna, what what's sort of the you know, the roadmap that lies ahead of you? Do you think in terms of the key milestones coming up?
0: Well, we're beginning to make commercial partnerships. Uh, and that's a very nice kind of growth because each one takes us into a different area. We have superb relationships with our manufacturers. So I'm hoping that we can grow organically, but quite fast. So we don't need very much in order to shift from where we are right now, which is, you know, with an excellent product, but really no public pro- profile mm. um, to uh, other people um, essentially um you know, talking about our product, using it, selling it, uh, we'd like to be able to constantly, we, ideally, long, in the medium term, we'd like other people to be selling our product. Mm. Uh, and we'd like to be developing other applications for technology.
1: Got you. So there's a big piece around how you get the route to market, distribution, exactly. Um, exactly. how how you yeah. scale up and grow, maybe bring yeah. investment into the business. So like you yeah. say, you can plow that back into the innovation yeah. and the the product yeah, yeah, creation. Yeah, yeah. certainly
0: bringing in partners. Um, I mean, I've been really grateful for our consumer sales because they kept us going. Mm. Absolutely wonderful. Um, and I'd love us to be. You know, if we can. Um, so, for example, we've got uh, partnerships with people who are operating in care homes, um, people who are operating well people who are operating in different areas. and um you know as they bring on the product, they will also be able to educate their network so we don't have to do it. And um, you know maybe eventually um, we'll find a wonderful partner who, also we will want to take over the consumer side mm. and then we'll concentrate on, on you know on other developments. Oh,
1: fantastic well I think it's a really exciting time for you you know like you say you've started with you know a core product that you know works and delivers results and helps people transform their, their lives and, and really has an impact and you're now at the next stage really of starting to think about how do you distribute how do you scale up and so you can actually still you know plow that innovation um, you know in the field that you spoke about so I know I think it's really interesting as a small business owner in terms of where you are, but the impact you're you're making. It's like a when you drop a pebble in a pond, isn't it? You know, and the actual ripple effects. And, and clearly that's what you're doing. You're you're helping so many people already, but there's more to come, uh, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> brilliant. So, so just the last few, a last few questions, if I may, Anna. Can you think of the best piece of advice that you've ever been given?
0: Yes, it's very clear. So um, I'll say thank you to somebody, actually. I'll name the person who gave it. So the person who gave it to me was um, uh, uh, somebody called Kevin Morgan, who is part of the sleep and I think economics department at Loughborough University. So in our early life, we were really trying to get research into our technology to validate it. It's expensive. So it came with Funding, um, we might have been able to apply for grants if we'd had the right kind of academic support. We couldn't get it. And uh, he said to me, um, uh, it's carved on my brain. He said, Why subject yourself to the tyranny of testing if you don't need it? Okay. And it basically let me off the hook. It, uh, It made me realize, you know, I already knew that the product worked. We'd had hundreds of people who used it, we knew it worked. But my problem was, how was I going to show people that it worked? And it, when he said that, I relaxed. We started to it on sale or return. I started to be, I'm very cool about, you know, if somebody doesn't use it properly, they want to return it. Or if they do use it properly, they want to return it. It's fine. And that basically, that change in attitude um, took away a, a big problem and also enabled us to... Uh, to get going, and in fact, what we did at that point, I then started to test the product as an independent academic would have tested it. So the results that you were talking about came when um, we essentially gave people the kind of questionnaire um, questionnaires that they would have been given had a, an academic been reviewing before and after. Um, results and I I didn't expect that people would take it seriously, but in fact they did. We did it not I'm not I don't know why they took it seriously, but they did take it seriously. Um, So it was very valuable to have.
1: Wow. And that piece of advice set you free, really, um, and set you on a different path. So, yeah, it just shows you the power of advice from from people around you that it can really change your mindset and and actually end up with a far better, less stressful (laughs) route um, that you ended up going down. That's incredible. Fantastic. I
0: also think it's quite um, interesting at the moment when... You know, of course, it would be lovely to have um, a solid evidence base for absolutely everything. Mm. Um, and when we're saying that, we often forget the practical difficulties that are in the way of that. You know, the access to money, the access to academics, the fact that academics want to do work which takes their CV forward. Um, they want a stream of work. They don't want to do your one interesting piece of work. You know, if you then... Um, disappear as a startup. They want to be involved with somebody who's going to be be able to continue to to offer them an interesting stream of work for 10 or 20 years. So there are many steps in the way that um, we don't really understand when we're demanding uh, an evidence-led approach. And I'm very grateful that, you know, we found another way. Of course, we couldn't have done that with a medical product, but we were allowed to do it with a sleep
1: device. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and can you think, Hannah, of a piece of advice that maybe you took which didn't work out so well and you regretted afterwards, or maybe it was uh, so bad that you ignored it and you're very relieved that you did so? <laughs> um, I think there's
0: lots that I've ignored and I'm, I'm really glad that I have. Um, and it has been uncomfortable, actually, but I'm so glad I have. So many people, you know, many of my best Friends think I'm stark raving bonkers. You know, why <laughs> did I turn my back on a successful, well paid, interesting career to, you know, eat baked beans, um, <laughs> 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 you know, in a collapsing. <laughs> um, and I don't have, I mean, I love it. I'm sure I made the right choice. I have not a moment's doubt. Um, and um, you know, that 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 I'm I'm glad I ignored them. And I'm glad I also found that um, sensible advice would have been to do a little bit of that and do a little bit of what I wanted to. I can't do that. I just find I, I can't split myself into pieces. So I've I've made the choice to do this, you know, thoroughly and utterly. Um, and not try and continue to, you know, earn by doing what I used to do. It's it, I, I just can't work like that. I, I found I, I tried for a little while. I found myself reluctant to do anything but this because it is so interesting. So I'm, I'm really glad that I took that route. And for me, you know, it's worth the baked beans. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Great quote of the day. It's worth the baked beans. I love that. I really love it. No, but you, you honestly, I mean, this is so refreshing for people listening as well, because so often we sometimes feel we have to conform and maybe follow a certain path and, you know, because that's what's expected or why are you walking away from that for something that's sort of relatively unknown. And I think that leap of faith and that being brave, which, it, you know, it is brave what you did, but you did it with passion, love, and you have no regrets. And we We all only have one life, don't we? You know, so we want to make it count and whatever that is version is for you or for anyone listening, you know, make the step because, you know, life's too short to not follow a passion and a dream, I think. Um And I yeah. think yours is is particularly inspiring and you're helping so many people. So it really is truly wonderful. And I congratulate you from the bottom of my heart for everything that you and Steve are doing and the, the good that you're doing in the world for so many people. So it's a it's a very exciting time. I feel very lucky to have had the chance to chat with you. Um, and before I get to my last question, Anna, where can people find you? Because obviously we want to make sure that people can, you know, really try out, um, you know, Z sleep and everything that you can help them with.
0: Okay, so our website is www.zees.org.uk. So that's how to find us. Um, We're also on all the social media channels as well. Um, We sell sell our products on sale or return. We keep a small amount um, if people return them. So people have 45 days to try them. And you can also rent them. So um it, it, it i think it's a good idea to try one
1: <laughs> yeah brilliant i love that try before you buy and if if you're not fully satisfied then you have a fabulous a fabulous guarantee there for people so yeah there's why why not there's nothing got nothing to lose and everything to gain from what i can i can tell anna so yeah fantastic and so just one one last question if i may just to finish up i always like to ask this question at the end of a podcast um what does brave bold brilliant mean to you anna I
0: think it means if I was to put the whole lot together and come up with one word, it means being authentic. You know, I think we are all different. We're different from each other. There's only one of each of us. (laughs) And if we're able to be that person, inevitably, we're going to be different. We're going to be brave. We're going to be bold. And hopefully we're going to be brilliant
1: oh i love that that's fantastic yeah what a powerful word be authentic be yourself everyone else is taken (laughs) (laughs) fantastic anna thank you so much you have been absolutely incredible and you are most definitely brave bold and brilliant and you're making such a positive impact that it's a real joy to hear hear what you're doing and yeah thank you for taking the time because i know how busy you are thank you thank you it's been a pleasure i've enjoyed it